Hello and welcome to the D1 Softball Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Henry. As always, we are excited to bring you the best of the best in college softball. After the show, head on over to d1softball.com for all those latest stories, coaching scoop, international softball news, schedules, and more. If you subscribe today, you can use Podcast 20, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T 20 for 20% off an annual subscription. We are excited for today's new episode that features Mississippi State head coach, Samantha Ricketts. Now let's get started. I'm joined by my co-host, Rhiannon Podkey. Rhi, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. We've got officially, as of today, a week until the season starts. So I am feverishly going through all the schedules, looking for the games, trying to like map out my game plan, you know, getting overwhelmed the first weekend, but really excited. Yeah, we are one week away from Division One college softball starting I can't believe it. I mean, we do this all year long and we always think, oh, I can't wait for a season to start. And uh, now it is happening. So and we've got you all covered on the site over on d1softball.com. We've got various previews um, available for you. And this week we released our power rankings, our very own Brady Vernon with power rankings, preseason power rankings by position. We'll start in the circle. Number one pitcher uh, in Division One softball, heading into the preseason, none other than Kelly Maxwell from Oklahoma State. We, you and I both watched Maxwell last season, uh, obviously leading the Cowgirls to the Women's College World Series. Um, unanimous for me as the number one pitcher heading into 2023. Yeah, just really, really impressive. Not only just her stuff, but also just her temperament in the circle. I mean, I can't even tell if the kid's like pitching a no-hitter or has given up 17 home runs, which she never does. But you literally couldn't tell because she's just so calm, cool, and collected. And I remember seeing her in Clearwater kickoff last season and she had developed some new stuff. And I thought, man, she's going to be good this year again. And definitely was. So well-deserved. A um, lot of good pitchers in the nation, but she definitely uh, definitely is one that I am you know, always love watching. And again, just a really solid person too. Um, just, uh, I, I just like, she's so dependable. I mean, that's what you want in an ace, right? Someone that just goes out there and, you know, is willing to, to face anyone anytime and never say anything about it. So uh, definitely well, well-deserved and well-positioned at number one there. And listen to these stats. Her career ERA is 1.45. She's 42 and 13. So she has 13 losses her entire career. And just a season ago, 313 strikeouts and 189.2 innings pitched. Uh, absolutely out of control. Anybody that has uh, a line like that, giving up only nine home runs as well. And um, had 35 appearances for the Cowgirls uh, just a season ago. So that's Kelly Maxwell in the circle. Then we'll head behind the dish. You got Kinsey Hansen out of Oklahoma. She had a tough year last year, some injury battle to some injuries, but she's entering the season in that top spot just ahead of Charlize Palacios at UCLA. But uh, again, Kinsey Hansen and Charlize Palacios playing for Team USA, uh, two incredible catchers behind the plate. And um, Kinsey Hansen uh, back for the Sooners. Uh, Re thoughts on... Uh, uh, the Kinsey Hanson and Charlize Palacios. Yeah, obviously, again, last year, we didn't see the best of Kinsey Hanson just because of those injuries, but I think we saw glimpses and she started coming on when she was healthy again, showed she, what she can do. Uh, you know, she's really great on both ends, hitting and defensively, as well as Palacios too. And I mean, there's some really, you know, you got Kayla Kowalik, who's obviously a tremendous all-around catcher too in that group. So not an easy group to top, but, um, and then you got, 
you know, Allie Shipman in Alabama is another one as well, but definitely agree that when Kinsey is 100%, uh, there's few that can compare. And um, I think we, like you said, well, if she's fully healthy this season, I think we'll see that for sure again. Um, last year was kind of, it was a struggle to see her struggle because you knew that she wasn't playing 100%. Um, and I think she's all motivator even more this year. So I'm sure we'll get the best of her. So we'll head on over to first base. We got Cindy Sanders, the reigning Pac-12 freshman uh, of the year, transferring to OU. We got another Sooner, uh, it, uh, and it's going to be a little bit of a theme here. She's in that, <laughs> excuse me, number one spot uh, for uh, power rankings heading into this season. But keep an eye on Karina Gaskins at our Notre Dame. Marie, I know you cover the ACC uh, a ton. Uh, thoughts on Gaskins and, and what she brings to Notre Dame? Yeah. For sure. She was, uh, you know, offensively just a power for them last year and um, kind of flew under the radar nationally, but not in the ACC. Obviously, ACC player of the year. People saw that saw her on a daily basis, knew what she brought. I don't think, like we said, she gets, quote unquote, the national attention that some other players do. But um, that's hard to be in that league to, to stand out like she did and well deserved there. So she's definitely one to keep an eye on. I think she's, you know, by all accounts, a improved um at least when I did the fall report and talked to Deanna Gump that's what she said and it was no surprise with her work ethic um but yeah it's, it's a talented group you got Brie Ellis at Auburn another one to keep an eye on and Mac Leonard down at Florida State so um and again these are all positions that they're supposed to play to start the season so we should clarify this with some of these because you never know when they'll might move around but uh most of those are no matter where they play a lot of these players would be on every list so that's first base then we'll head to second base Yari Jennings are uh, D100 top player in the nation. She's number one in the nation. She's number one uh, at second. She's she's going to hold down that second base position. But really close is Alex Skaggs out of Arizona. Uh, she's in that number two spot. But that's who, who we've got over on our power rankings. Again, we, we'll have these power rankings throughout the season. We've got 10 up um, for these position players. Uh, and and um, taking a look at second base, we've got a few others. And I know Re, there's a few other there in the SEC and that second base base position. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's a, the interesting one I, you know, to pay attention to is the transfer Christina Foreman, Arkansas too, coming over from Duke uh, more known for her bat than I think, you know, obviously her position play, but interested to see she's supposed to play there again. These could change around um, kind of see her different places. Sydney Kuma at George is a really talented one to keep an eye on as well. Um, a lot of talent there and there's, you know, just, uh, there's a, there's a few too kind of under, I think like Allie Bunker and April visit, maybe people don't know them, but I would keep an eye out for them. Cora Bassett, um, some names that like people probably like, wait, I don't recognize these names, Kelly Horn. But, uh, I think if you get to know them a little bit more, you'll see how talented they are defensively and offensively. A lot of these players too, defensively, that's kind of a, it's a hard thing to monitor. So these rankings always seem to skew a little bit sometimes to the offensive side for numbers wise, but some of these are tremendously talented defensive players. And so make sure when you're you know looking at these rankings too, you factor in that part of it, not just pure stats from offensively. Absolutely. And, and speaking of transfers, keep it on Rachel Becker, uh, the Purdue chancellor heading over to Oklahoma state. We'll see if she, she plays there at second base, but another um, player to watch heading into season. Then we'll move over to shortstop. Again, another sooner. We got Grace Lyons there, um, but Skylar Wallace is uh, uh, just right on her heels, um, leading the Florida Gators to the Women's College World Series just a season ago. Incredible athlete, and wasn't a traditional infielder. So 
um, for her to move into the infield um, just a few years back and, and see her success there. Um, just an incredible athlete. But Re, thoughts on that shortstop position? Yeah, again, I, I really do. Scott Wallace, one of my favorite players to watch, just all around athlete. Her impact on both, you know, just a, she could, you could put her anywhere and she would excel. Um, obviously, Aaron Koffel, too, at Kentucky, a really, really talented defensive and offensive player. And then you got someone like Sydney McKinney at Wichita State, who we know can just bomb, you know, and she's, uh, you know, that she's a talented defensive player, too, but I think we know her more for her offense. So that's another one. And Kylie Naomi, who we were, you know, last year, I think by her standards, probably didn't have the year she wanted. So I'm interested to see how she bounces back this year. I think she, um, if you'd asked her personally, she's probably a little disappointed. Um, but Oklahoma State, I think, to watch out for her. And, and Jenna Laird at Mizzou, she's a talented, talented player, really good defensive player. Um, and a name kind of, you know, I like seeing like the Rosalind Carrillo. I mean, who, uh, you know, maybe people don't know that name, but keep an eye out for her. And Billy Andrews um, is another one at uh, Nebraska to watch out for both, both offensively and defensively. Yeah, Billy Andrews out of Nebraska. Uh, Rhonda Ravel couldn't say enough about her and her impact on the Huskers. So that's a shortstop position. Then we'll head on over to third base. Uh, we got Bailey Klinger, uh, the number one spot, number one third baseman heading into the 2023 season. Uh, and along with Alyssa Brito, uh, Mia Scott out of Texas, um, and Ashley Prangy uh, all on that list. But Reed, thoughts on that third base power rankings heading into the 2023 season? Yeah, really talented group at third base. I mean, that, you know, I think I was really shocked, kind of shocked how low Charlotte Eccles was for Florida, just because I know how talented of a player she is. But then I look <laughs> at the rest, I'm like, well, you know, it's a tough group. Like, I think you could flip a coin with some of them. Another one to watch, Sarah Mosley at Georgia. Some of her offensive numbers are really tremendous, and she's a, an improved defensive player. That's really been an emphasis at Georgia these last uh, few years to improve the defense. I think that's really made some strides. Um, and you mentioned some of the others. I mean, it's, it's just crazy, uh, you know, and, and I think Hannah Gamble at Arkansas offensively is a tremendous player um, and she's going to be one that's going to have to pick up some of that load. They lost a few, but they still return tons and add transfers. But uh, yeah, that's this is a really good list. I was again, I saw Charlotte down there. I'm like, wow, that's low. But then I'm like, well good there's a lot of players above her that are really good so <laughs> and we'll have our um uh, our outfield power rankings for you addison Bar barnard uh, is in that number one spot uh for outfield just with kiki malloy right behind her and jada coleman ton of good outfielders again as well um and gosh uh, heading into season uh this these lists are going to change uh, you know throughout the weeks but uh, a, a good slew of outfielders. We've got 25 up on the site, including uh, Addison Barnard, Kiki Moy, Jada Coleman, Yanni Acuna, and Violet Zavodnik. Those are your top five, but just out of that top five is Maya, Maya Brady at six. I don't know. I, I, I think I put Maya Brady up there a, a little bit higher. I'm not quite sure if I have her as the six, but um, I think that has to do a little bit with defense because she's traditionally an infielder. So she could get some some looks in the infield. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think she's, I think she's the potential. I do think last year she did struggle a little bit early. We saw that she came on and especially the world series. So that could have factored in a little bit. Um, I think if she plays her potential this year, she'll jump right back up really quickly. So I don't think there's any issue there. Um, but I do think she had a you know, and I think, like I said, most of these players would, you know, cop to it. They, some of them didn't have their best years, but she showed what she can do when she's really great down the stretch of the season there. So I think that'll probably, uh, if she starts off that way this year, I think she'll jump right up into that top five. 
Yeah, so those are the outfield power rankings. Head on over to the site, d1softball.com. Our last two, we've, we've split them up. We've got a utility section uh, and a designated player rankings. Atop those designated player rankings is Haley Lee, again, Texas A&M transfer to OU. And then on top of the utility rankings, we've got Jada Cody uh, at a UCF. But read thoughts on the utility and designated player rankings. Yeah, no, no question. Haley Lee. I mean, her offensive numbers are tremendous and she can, you know, play first or catcher. So definitely agree with her. She's going to be slotted DP. You can just put her, you can honestly put her utility too, I guess, if you were to really dive into it. Um, and then Jada Cody's just phenomenal. I'm one of my favorite players to watch in the nation um, at UCF. She can do everything. It's just going to be a matter of them hoping they can pace her because she's going to have to do a lot, you know, and, and they don't want to overdo it with her behind the plate. So they'll probably stick her at third a little bit more but um definitely the ultimate utility player and some good names on this list offensively some more than defensively others so it's kind of a good mix here again head on over to the site to check out all the power rankings the preseason power rankings over on d1softball.com we've also got the american preview up we're looking at wichita state and ucf battling it out there uh pat osterman cheryl swoops join the au advisory board and then uh, we'll end with this. UGA's Jaden Fields uh, has gives softball a WWE NIL presence. And Re, I know you did that story and enjoyed that story. So talk to us a little bit about Jaden Fields and and her new gig with the WWE. Yeah, I, ever since the WWE started this program, this is the third iteration of it. Um, once NIL came into play, I was waiting. I, I've written about basketball players that signed. I've written about football players. I'm like, we need a softball player. And I like opened and I said, Jane Fields, thank you. Step on down. Um, but really just a great opportunity for her. She, you know, doesn't necessarily mean she wants to be in the ring as a WWE athlete. That's not always what this whole thing is about. WWE is obviously a big entertainment company as well. So she's into uh, sports media journalism. She wants to be on camera. So there could be some great opportunities there for her in terms of just getting some networking and learning how to kind of do the entertainment side, um, getting some camera work. But she said, hey, you know, her brother, who people might know, Justin Fields, Chicago quarterback, Chicago uh, Bears quarterback, um, he said, I want to see you in the ring. So she might get in there. They can they have full access to the whole training facility down in Orlando. It's a pretty cool gig and they get paid for it. It's not just, you know, training. It's they get paid too. Uh, one thing I talked about with Jaden, she's got more than 20 NIL deals. And she said, you know, I know my worth now, so I don't do anything unless I get paid for it. So more power to her because I think more women that, you know, can do that need to start doing that and, you know, setting that bar. Um, and so she's a, uh, She's also, I'm kind of jealous. She's got the Chipotle black card, so she can go at any time and get a free meal anytime she wants. So I'm very <laughs> jealous of that. <laughs> uh, that was part of her, one of her NIL deals. So they don't pay her anymore, but they give you a, a black card where you can use it the whole time, which is, that's a lifetime benefit. I, I will never uh, turn away. Um, so yeah, just really cool. I'm excited to see what she does with it. You know, obviously during season, I'm sure it won't be quite as much, but WWE is just a powerhouse. I honestly, I'm, I've, I remember I was a Hulk Hogan fan as a kid. I don't watch it as much now. I'm not a Royal Rumble person, but it's tremendously popular. Millions of people watch it. So if she can get hooked up with that and get some training and everything, she'll have networking forever. And I think it's good for softball to get someone the first one in there. And there's a lot of good athletes that I think could actually get in the ring. So I would hope that some in the future might actually be, you know, really wanting to maybe explore that as a post softball career. Cause there's some strong girls as we know. So. Yeah. I mean, jumping off from the top rope, I mean, my brothers, they went to Royal Rumble. Like I, I'm well-versed in WWF, WWE. So 
Uh, I was excited when I saw this and uh, wishing Jaden best of luck with WWE. And, and I think this is a really cool experience. And like you said, hopefully uh, a couple uh, more softball players get involved with that program because that would be cool to see uh, them uh, on TV entertaining because, I mean, they are athletes and uh, I I'd take a softball player over a lot of other <laughs> sports <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> These catchers, man, these catchers are used to getting railed on. They might as well just like jump in the ring. Like, hey, I'm used to getting run over. Might as well just jump on me. Oh, yeah, I love it. So that's it for uh, what we've got on the site. We'll head into our a weekly uh, interview with none other than Mississippi State uh, head coach Samantha Ricketts. Always love chatting with her. I know Ree, you get to chat with her a lot more than I do because you're you're um, handling the SEC. But um, just uh, so much fun to talk to. Uh, Could have talked to her for hours. So here she is, uh, Mississippi State head coach Samantha Ricketts. Tara Henry here with a D1 softball podcast back joined by our guest of the week, none other than Mississippi State head coach, Samantha Rickett. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us this week on the D1 softball podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So we'll just go through a little bit of, of Samantha's resume. Uh, former All-American at Oklahoma, and I got to actually witness this in person because I actually played against uh, Samantha yes. back in the day. Uh, top the three. Day. <laughs> top three player of the year finalist uh, got a master's in education uh, and a degree in sociology at Oklahoma uh, played pro with Akron racers remember those Akron racers uh, and then coached the USSA pride uh, stints at Wichita State as an assistant coach won the first um, Missouri Valley Conference title with, with Wichita State back in 2014 and now uh, assistant coach at Mississippi State and now the head coach at Mississippi State. Uh, Samantha, listen to that. Uh, I, there was more on there. There's a lot in this bio. <laughs> yeah, but I, gosh, I've been, been around a while, I guess, and definitely different stops along the way that have really kind of led me to this, this this position, this job, and this opportunity, um, definitely, you know, different than maybe I envisioned it going in my head and taking over as the head coach, you know, I, four years ago now starting my fourth season as head coach, but never thought I would be at Mississippi State and Starkville this long. I'm going on year nine. Um, you know, I thought I'd have to leave and get my first head coaching job, you know, somewhere else and kind of work my way back up. But I think, you know, God's plan was bigger and definitely could not have imagined this opportunity and just very thankful for the position that I'm in. Yeah. So I want to start there. So you obviously got a degree in sociology and then a master's in education and coached at OU as well uh, after playing there. What was that process like and how did you decide to get into coaching? Yeah, it really um, started while I was a player at Oklahoma. I think Going into college there, I really didn't have an idea of what I wanted to study. I kind of, I think I started off um, in the business field because that was something my dad did. And then I switched to more of the like pre-nursing track because that's what my mom did. And my mom, my sister are nurses and just was like, okay, these aren't really, you know, wasn't really finding the joy there. Um, and my sophomore year, Coach Gasso approached me and was like, have you ever thought about coaching? Like, I think you'd be really good at that. And really from then on out, I, that was like, yeah, that, that's what I'm going to do. And it just kind of clicked. It made sense. And she really, from that point on, you know, she was not only my coach as a player, but a mentor as, as going into a, being a future coach. And you know, she would ask me questions like, hey, if this were you, if you were the coach in this situation, what would you do? 
and just trying to get me to look a little bit more big picture about how to handle situations and teams, relationships, um, whatever that might be. And then stayed on for two years as a graduate assistant on her staff and got to really dive into that a little bit more. Um, and that was when my sister Kehlani joined the team. So that was right off the bat. All right, you get to coach your sister, you get to figure out, you know, some of these conversations and kind of be, um, you know, right in the middle of all of it. But so thankful for her mentorship and just, you know, that fact that she's been there every step of the way in my coaching journey and somebody that I can call um, on the good and the bad days. And, you know, when I really, you know, when we're struggling, when I need an idea or just some encouragement, you know, she's there um, and just so thankful to have the best and to have her be one in my pocket through all of this. And you mentioned your sister, Kehlani, you have three siblings, Kehlani, Stephanie, and Richard all played um, high level sports. Uh, Stephanie, pitcher at Hawaii, obviously Kehlani, a pitcher at OU, uh, and Richard played, she was okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then Richard played football at Air Force. What was life like in the Ricketts household with uh, all those athletes under one roof? Like, what was a typical day like there? Um, Very busy and very competitive. And I think we just didn't know any different. Both my parents were athletes, um, you know, for a long time. My dad played two sports in college, uh, played a little bit after both football and wrestling. Um, My mom did not play sport in college. She was right before Title IX, so she didn't have the opportunity to. uh, But really, I think she was definitely the better athlete of the two of them. They would both say that. But we grew up going to her competitive travel slow pitch games. And I remember just you know being young and at the fields while she, my mom's playing third base and you know she's pregnant with Kehlani. And just, it was kind of all we knew growing up and we were just surrounded by that. We played every sport. Kind of the one rule was we weren't allowed to quit a sport. So even if we hated swimming like I did, or you hate, you didn't want to play soccer anymore, you were going to honor your commitment. Um, and then after the season, we could revisit. But um, you know, a lot of practices, a lot of tears, a lot of bullpens at the park laps around the track or the court in the neighborhood um just I think in the moment we didn't understand why maybe we were being pushed but it was definitely I think attributed to the success that all four of us had out after um after high school after we moved out and on to college but just very thankful to have that support system that we did and I think it really kind of shaped all of us uh, moving forward not just in sports but with what we're doing after as well and you mentioned, obviously, Kehlani joining uh, Oklahoma and you coaching there. What was that experience like for you to coach your sister, obviously, you know, <laughs> growing up with her and now uh, you're coaching her at Oklahoma um, and going to the Women's College World Series and, and seeing her success. What was it like? It was it was a lot of fun. It was, um, you know, different challenges than I was used to as a player and I think kind of got thrown right into it where when you know, Kehlani started college very young, she was 17. She was the youngest one in the group. She really could have been kind of held back another year um so she had a lot of pressure on her at a very you know very young age she came in you're going to be the one you're the pitcher you're going to lead OU back to the world series and that was a lot for you know a young 17 year old handle um so really I think I was there as that support system Uh, she did end up moving out of the dorms and in with me in her freshman year just so we could kind of keep her on track school-wise you know keep her focused and everything and I just remember that first season she was throwing, she was pitching against Washington out in Palm Springs um, mm-hmm. and she got hit hard and she was in the dugout in between every inning crying and she, she, she was upset. She couldn't handle it. And, you know, they wouldn't take her out. They're like, you're, you know, you got to learn. You're gonna have to figure this out. And then end of the year, where do we get sent for um, super regionals, but Washington. And 
just it was a complete transformation. I know they, they didn't wouldn't win the super regional, but her maturity, her poise, and just her confidence on the mound by the end of that season, it was really fun to just see that growth that she made as a pitcher. And I think that's when everybody knew, like, okay, she's she's gonna be all right. You know, she's gonna be able to do this. Um, lots of you know, little bumps around along the ways. I remember I didn't get in trouble much as a player, but I got in trouble a lot as Kaylani's sister. And why is she doing this? Why is this happening? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I'll go talk to her. Uh, but that's where I think it was really beneficial for both of us to have her there. I got to learn quickly on the coaching side and she got to have, I think, extra support through, especially those first two years. It's interesting. You mentioned that coaching philosophy as well. Like I've seen uh, coach Gasso leave the, her pitchers in, um, at that tournament oh, various yes. pitchers <laughs> throughout the years, but in terms of your coaching philosophy, like we talked about um, stints at Wichita State, obviously being under Patty Gasso, what have you taken from both of those experiences and how would you describe your coaching philosophy? I think really, you know, the biggest thing I learned for her from her, it's so much more than softball. And it's, you know, how do you, if you want to see success on the field, you have to really make sure that we're taking care of the athlete off the field. And, you know, just that relationship and being um, a good mentor yourself and then surrounding them with other mentors. I think it's so important to have good people, good support system in place for them, especially now it's become more and more important when you're talking the mental health of the student athletes, you know, the physical health, the weight room, um, every single person that we can surround them with, make sure that they feel comforted and supported and that they have the resources they need. Um, and that was something she was doing long before. I think it was kind of, you know, maybe more popular and talked about as it is now. Um, and just also that there's a way to, I think, hold yourself and your team to a high standard and you don't have to yell or scream or cuss to demand that respect. And that's something she does so well, um, that I learned a lot from her as well, just to see her be able to really own her presence and own being a strong female, whether it's on the field, when she's as a coach, when she's standing up for herself or her team, maybe on the administrative side or, you know, fighting for what's right. Uh, just everything she's done has always been very classy and I, just in my mind, really done the right way and something that left an impression on me from the very beginning. And you've been at Mississippi State since 2015, uh, starting obviously as an assistant coach and then transitioning into the head coaching role. What was that transition like for you? Was there a little bit of a, a period of time where, you know, that transition was a little bit more difficult or do you feel like you just stepped into that head coaching role um, and that you were ready to to be there? I don't know if you're ever ready to step into the head coaching role until you can experience it. And I think that's something I tried to kind of, you know, discuss with um, younger coaches when they're kind of asking for advice, but I was very lucky that it was with a team that I knew and recruits that I had recruited. So that made the transition. I just think on that end, a little bit easier. Um, I think the toughest part of it was just understanding how much more is on your plate and you have to really be good at delegating it, having good people around you, trusting them and using them. And I'm a little bit type A where I want to do it. You know, I'm going to do it myself. I know I'm going to do it right and try to control it all. And you just can't do that. You have to learn to let go. And that for me was definitely a lesson I learned early. And thankfully I've got a really strong staff around me where I can, you know, we, we communicate a lot. It's something we talk about, not just amongst our staff, but our team is we need to make sure we're communicating and I can give them tasks that I know they're going to handle. Um, and we can make sure that we're going to ultimately take care of the team the best we can instead of just 
everybody sitting around waiting on me to do what XYZ or whatever it might need to be. But that was definitely the biggest challenge. Um, and even just, I think the relationships with the players, it is, it becomes a different relationship when you're the head coach and no longer the assistant or the, the hitting coach, you know, that they would go to, to talk to. And that was something now, you know, I have one class that knows me as an assistant, the rest of them only know me as head coach. So going through that transition every year has been, I think, a learning experience as well. And in terms of your support, your staff, uh, Josh Johnson and Tyler Bratton and, and, and then Zach Shaw, talk to me a little bit about what those three bring and what's a day like and practice like with those three um, and managing all those men on staff. It is. Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot of guys and, but they're great. And for me, you know, I, I also want to make sure that I do surround the team with strong female presence. So that's where I think the rest of my support staff, it is a focus for us, but I'm not going to not hire a male assistant be, um, if they're not qualified or good enough for the, I think, you know, either, either side, either gender, and they're all very good at what they do. Um, I've been, you know, working with coach Bratton now for, for nine years, he's been with me the whole, the whole side, the whole step of the way. And, um, just does a really great job. He's a Mississippi state guy through and through, he's got two degrees from Mississippi state. He played baseball here, um, has so much passion and love for this university that he does a really great job of sharing that with the recruits, with the teams, whoever it might be. Um, him and I work really close together with the offense. He coaches third because I like to be in the dugout with the hitters. Um, does a lot with our base running, with our outfield, and a big part of our recruiting as well. Um, so him and I, we work hand in hand quite a bit. Josh was the one that we went out and hired um, 20, 2019 when I took over and really was looking for somebody to come in with our pitching staff and and do something different, you know, and Josh was a name I hadn't I had, we didn't know Josh before. Um, and his name got brought up a couple times and we were able to kind of see some of the work he done. And he just, he thinks a lot differently than most people, I think in our game. And he's unbelievably smart. He's working on his PhD in biomechanics right now. Um, and so his dissertation is about pitching and he he's running biomechanics camps to gather information to one, not just to help himself learn, but to help future generations of pitchers and to give us some information and data like there is on the baseball side of things. So it is a very different approach, but it's also very helpful. I don't want a staff that all thinks the way I do. You know, he's not afraid to bring up ideas or challenge. So why do we do things this way? Um, and I think that's something we've all really kind of focused on. It's, you know, we're not going to do things just because it's the way we've always done them. Let's challenge ourselves test what we do, whether it's test our drills, test, test our training and see if it's actually benefiting our development. And then do we need to reevaluate, move on from there? But um, he's been a big part. He does kind of spearhead a lot of our recruiting as well. And that organization side, he's very meticulous and organized with that as well, which I appreciate. And then um, Zach Shaw, we added this year as our volunteer assistant. And you know, he's got a lot of experience um, on the men's side as well, like Josh, they both play for Team USA. Uh, Josh is retired from that now, but Zach currently is uh, the second baseman for the Team USA men's fast pitch team. And for me, the big focus with bringing him in was just an addition, more help for our defense. And that's something that's kind of been a struggle for us that I, I want to improve. And I think we can be a lot better in that area and we're bringing in the athletes to do so. So big focus on the infield, on the defense, uh, and then obviously assisting on offensive side as well and it just being a current player somebody that they can see doing it he'll hop out there with them is so helpful um and he's just not afraid to jump right in he's got a lot of knowledge and you know currently playing and he's 
just got back from a tournament this weekend. And that's where it's helpful in the volunteer role. He can go, he can play and he can come on back. Um, but he's been a great addition for us as well. I'm excited to see how the season kind of transition, how the defense especially transitions through all that um, with his addition to our staff. And then I've got a, a, a whole other army of support staff, Mia Davidson as a graduate student coach for us. Again, just keeping her voice around, especially with the catchers, you know, it's going to be a new catcher behind the, the plate for the first time. And you know, she caught the last Ever? five years. Especially the end of Mia's career, there wasn't a whole lot of catching at practice. It was Mia, why don't you play first and rest your knees, go hit, you know, cause we're just, she was, she was tired. You know, she was, she was old. Um, so now, I mean, we're diving in it's, there's catching boot camp going on all the time to make sure that we're ready and having her leading that is just, and invaluable for us. I love that catching boot camp with Mia Davidson. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I want to go into that. So uh, last year, historic run, uh, obviously hosting a super regional, tw- thirty-seven and twenty-seven last year, hosting a super regional in Starkville, uh, Mississippi State, historically a baseball uh, school as well, and uh, knocking on the door now a softball school. And uh, what was that like to host a regional in Starkville? From watching it on television, it looked like an incredible atmosphere. And we had Tyler Ben on our Twitter spaces and he just said it was just incredible, obviously experiencing both. But what was that experience like for you as head coach to host a Super Regional in Starkville? Oh gosh, it was so much fun. And it was something I think for us as coaches, you know, we knew it was coming. We knew that we have the recruits, the talent, we believe in our development, that we were going to take that next step soon. Uh, we weren't sure when. I'm so glad it happened this past season with Mia, with Annie, um, with Montana Davidson, Mia's sister in their senior year. It was just a great way for, you know, these players, these women who chose Mississippi State for that reason. They wanted to leave the program better than they found it. They wanted to elevate us and they were able to leave and do that and really, you know, know that they, they, they helped take us to another level and raise the standard of Mississippi State softball. So I think it was just such a great honor to them and to, to that team. And that's what the, that group will be remembered for. But in hosting the Super Regional, a little bit of a surprise, but you know, we, were, we were here for it. it was, <laughs> nobody expected that. I mean, you go down there, obviously, with the intent of, okay, we can, you know, we can go down there, we can compete, we can give ourselves a chance. And then, um, you know, if we win a Super Regional, you're just assuming it's on the road. And I actually found out that Arizona had won in that game three on my mid-interview um, or mid-game interview on the headset. Uh, it was, yeah. Really? They, did yes. they tell you on the inter- Oh my they goodness. Did. Kayla, um, Kayla Brode, and the, they told me on the interview in, the, in between innings. And I pulled Coach Bratton aside and I said, do we tell him? Should we tell the girls that? He's like, yeah, tell them. So I pulled them in before that fourth or fifth inning that we went ahead and you know, we kind of use it to motivate them. Like, Hey, we're in this, we got to keep fighting. And we win this game, we get to host and they were fired up. They loved it. And we immediately went out um, and took the lead that next half inning. So that could have backfired. It went really well for us. Um, <laughs> and just a great opportunity, I think for, for even our university and just, especially for the women's athletics, we've, we've seen the, you know, storied program, baseball, football, you see the fans coming in, um, you know, what they've done at Duty Noble has just been unbelievable. And I remember sitting at a regional at baseball a couple years ago, maybe two seasons ago, and you're just looking around like, man, how do you lose in this environment? It's just, it's unbelievable, this, the support and just everything they've done there. 
we can do the same thing at softball. The fans are hungry for it. You know, the facilities are there. Um, and our people administratively obviously were prepared for that, which was very helpful. You know, we're looking at it like we've never hosted. We don't sell tickets. What do we do? It's like, we got this. We do this every year with baseball. We're going to be fine. Um, but appreciate, you know, we really went above and beyond to set up, to get the setup um, that we could cram as many people in there as we could. And I just remember taking the field for lines and pregame and all these people stood up and started clapping and the girls were like, what's looking around, what's going on? Like they're cheering for us. We're warming up. And I think just a special moment to see 2,200 people on a Friday morning show up for women's softball, um, you know, in Starkville and just the, the support was there, the crowd. And I think we introduced a lot of Mississippi state fans to the sport of softball. And I'm hoping we continue to get them to come back and, you know, let them enjoy the game and get to know the team. I have goosebumps just like thinking about that. Um, it just, even the atmosphere, like I said, watching um, on television, it it just looked incredible. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned uh, the football program and um, uh, honoring Coach Leach and, and his legacy there and his sudden passing. But what was it like for you being in administration in an athletic department that included Coach Leach? Because, um you know, those of us on the outside hearing all these wonderful stories about who um, he was and how helpful he was. But we, and I know he was a huge fan of the softball program. Um, what was that like for you being in that athletic department with Coach Leach? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I remember um, when it was announced that they hired him, we went to his press conference and we came back to the office and we watched all the YouTube videos of his other press conferences and his, you know, his famous rants that he would go on about mascots or this, that, or the other thing. Um, but it was just really fun to have that kind of, you know, a unique personality leading the program and also to see how they continue to grow under him and really loved what he did for Mississippi State football. Um, his staff also was wonderful. I think we've never had so much support from a football program like we did with his staff and there were football coaches um, at softball games all the time they're always bringing a lot of them had young daughters so they're always bringing their kids out they're supporting our games they're posting about it on social media which was huge you know to have your football staff your football coaches out at a softball game um, just we were really appreciative of that they worked well with us anytime we needed anything um, and he really was that personality you saw in interviews that was him all the time um, I got to you know, fly, go down to Jackson with him on a trip. And then a couple other interactions, um, he'd wander into practice from time to time and go off You talk about how he taught his daughter how to pitch and he's showing us his pitching motions and just, he just loved sports. He loved people and to be around them and he wanted to talk and to share stories. And that's what he did best. So, you know, I know we're definitely going to miss him and just that energy he brought. Um, but I think we're all just so grateful. We had the chance to have him in Starkville and get to know him, um, and get to share some stories about him now. Yeah, and I'll never forget he sat, he was in the booth for one of y'all's games. Um, I think he was <laughs> and it was, and I listened to a lot of games, let me tell you. Um, it was one of my favorites. I just um just hearing him and his insight. Um, so yeah, I'll never forget um listening to Coach Leach in the booth. I believe he was with Tiffany um and Aaron Miller uh that day, and and those three were were classic. Well, I want to end on a few um just kind of simple ones. Uh what do you do? when you're not 
playing or coaching softball. Um, what, oh what is, <laughs> do you have any hobbies even? Uh, <laughs> there's maybe something that we don't know about. So we have the rickets, the rest of the world doesn't know. Uh, do you have any hobbies? I don't know if I have any unique hobbies that I could think of. Um, I do like to travel or try to get to see, I've got, gosh, six nieces and nephews now. Um, and so I do, I try to get to see all of them at least twice a year. Uh, it works out. They all kind of live in States that I recruit in, but I do try <laughs> to make sure that I'm spending some time going out to see them quite a bit. Um, California and Oklahoma and my brothers in Colorado. Um, but I think that's really, if we have kind of weeks off or uh, downtime Christmas break that I like to do a lot of that. I, I do enjoy traveling, uh, but I, I like being home. I've got, um, a lot, anybody that's been around Starkville knows Coach Ricketts and they know my dog Arnold and you'll see him. He's very hard to miss. He's a 200 pound English Mastiff. Um, so we're usually out walking somewhere in town and noticed by somebody, but I think just, you know, trying to enjoy and be present in the moment, whether it's, you know, time at home or with family, um, with friends. I do like, I like to cook. That's also, we did a big team or senior dinner at my house this week. Uh, where I took requests and then they all come in and we try to do class dinners at every coach's house. So I get the seniors uh, when I get the time, there's not a lot of time for that, but I do enjoy cooking, enjoy baking. And Chloe Malaulu requested Pani Popo, which is a Samoan sweet roll dish that I had to make from scratch for her. So we had that with tacos because that really goes well together. Um, but that's probably, I think the other thing that I would say, maybe it's a little secret um skill that I have but I know our girls all know that so you love to cook what's your favorite dish to cook yours oh gosh that's a tough one <laughs> I do enjoy like taco night I had a teammate um who grew up you know she's from southern California really close to the border her grandma lived with them um and she wanted to pass down her recipes and she her, she didn't like it was actually Amber Flores, who's coaching the Oklahoma oh, City yeah. Park. Yeah. She <laughs> didn't, she wasn't really one. She's like, I don't like to cook. I don't want to know. And, you know, I went down there, I worked a couple of camps with her and her dad and her grandma taught me all of her recipes. And so all of these authentic Mexican uh, recipes that I can now, I continue to make. And I, you know, my girls will ask for the recipe too. And it's something that we can share her family recipes a little bit, but those are probably just because I think the story of it, that um, my grandma's Christmas cookies kind of the same way, you know, she, it's something I just remember and you kind of have a tie to a person and a moment or, you know, something back in your history. And that's why you can kind of use cooking or baking or whatever it might be to bring people together. But those are the two that really stand out because of what they mean to me and the people in my life. I love that. If I'm uh, heading out over to Starkville, I'm going to be requesting some tacos. Speaking of that, so Favorite place to take the team on the road. Uh, where's the favorite place for the team to eat on the road? <laughs> Gosh, they do anything probably that's not a sandwich. I would say, <laughs> you, you know, you get into season and everything sandwiches, but, um, let me think. What do they request a lot? They will request whether it might even be like a Starbucks stop. They love their coffee. Um, yep. I'm it's so eclectic. What we usually will do is we'll stop in a shopping center and kind of let them choose because where I want to go to Panera, anytime we stop, some of them are like, absolutely not. I cannot look at another sandwich. Um, in pla places in town, like we, they do like a lot of local places. We've tried to do a lot of that. There's, 
uh, like acai bowl place called Nutrigroove mm -hmm. that they love. And the first time we bought it for them, I think it was the week of the super regional and we just hadn't heard of it. And we didn't really, um, we'd never used them before. And like, oh man, we should win more often. We're getting the good food. And we're like, oh, okay, we can do this again if you guys like it that much. <laughs> All right, if you guys keep winning, you can have it every day. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bribing you with the Nutri-Groove fruit bowl. Okay, that works. <laughs> I love it. Um, so favorite straining show. Do you have one? Ooh, the only one that I keep up with consistently is Yellowstone. That's probably the only one I actually have time to. Anything after that, usually it's just something I have on in the background that I can ignore, whether it's like Friends or the Big Bang Theory or probably the two. Yeah. That's something I'm not really watching, but it's just kind of background noise while I'm working or doing whatever else is going on. But Yellowstone yeah. is the one that's going to be recorded and I'm going to make sure I, I keep up with those while I can. Yellowstone's a popular one um, on yeah. the podcast with, with most coaches. Uh, so heading into, we were going to preview the 2023 season, but we don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about, I think we're almost, oh gosh, we'll be almost a week away from season. And I know that it, the weather is a little bit colder there right now, but I really want to talk about your new in, indoor facility. I know you're sharing with baseball and practicing in their indoor facility, but what's happening at Mississippi State and, and when is that new indoor going to be finished? Yes. So we knocked down our old building um, right after the Super Regional. It was actually scheduled to be knocked down the week of the Super Regional. And they moved everything out while we were down in Tallahassee. And then we won and it was, okay, quick, move everything back in. <laughs> we got we got to host a Super. Um, but we're definitely, you know, no problems pushing that back. What we're building right now, it's going to be a, oh gosh, I can't even remember the size. Um, what brand new batting cages, as well as a clubhouse locker room, just a one-stop shop, everything that the student athlete will need in one space. Um, it'll be five batting cages, two indoor pitching lanes, and then we've got some garage doors that go right out to three outdoor pitching lanes. So kind of indoor, outdoor bullpen space that I know they'll have a little more room. I'm excited about because I get my cages back and can kick Josh out of the cages and just keep that for the hitters. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, with us, we're a little nerdy. We like the tech. So we're going to have, you know, six TVs in there, all the rap sodos, all of the technology we can pack into that building um, and to really get our work done. Uh, then the cages lead into the field house, which is a locker room, a bath bathroom, showers, team lounge, team film room, team nutrition, um, a training room. We're going to have a cold tub room equipment room, anything they could think of, anything they might possibly need, um, and a mud room, which is probably what I'm most excited about because they can drop all their nasty stuff and not make the, the new place dirty. <laughs> so we're really excited about it. I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that we're getting everything we need. And initially in the early phases of it, there was some discussion with administration um, about, hey, we could build something for half of this price, half the size, on the other side, on the first base side of our stadium. And there were enough people on our executive staff of our administration that stepped, stepped up and said, no, you know, that's, let's do this the right way. Let's take care of softball and let's build something we're going to be proud of and not something we need to revisit in another two to three years. And we're going to have to fix. Um, so just really appreciative of that support uh, that we're getting from the athletic department, from donors to make this happen. And it really is just going to be top of the line um, everything we could possibly need in there. And so we're just kind of saying we're happy to be homeless at the moment while we're waiting on all that to be finished. 
our current locker room is still there, luckily, so the girls aren't really too displaced. The biggest issue right now is the lack of batting cages, but baseball has been great. They've worked with us. Um, we will go at kind of odd times, but we've gotten used to some morning practices, but it gives us a space to really still get our work done and make sure we're ready to go next week. It's incredible. Well, can't wait to see when that's finished. And we'll we'll just do a little bit. I know you like to play a tough schedule for Mississippi State, and, and that was a huge indication of obviously advancing to the Supers just a year ago. Um, heading down to Florida for uh, two weekends, the beginning of season, and then hosting OU at home uh, for two games. But talk to me a little bit about putting that schedule together and why it's so important uh, also a rematch with Arizona in uh, Clearwater um, and play UCF um, and South Florida. But talk to me a little bit about that schedule and putting together uh, um, a tough schedule heading into uh, the gauntlet that is the SEC. Yes, it is tough. And it's something, you know, we've talked a lot about because, you know, with how tough our conference schedule is, we, you know, how tough do you want to be in preseason? And are you just demoralizing the team? Are you putting yourself at risk for postseason? There's just so much that goes into scheduling. Um, and I think we've kind of gone both directions, but we really learned last year that challenging ourselves early was so beneficial for us down the line. Um, we opened season last year playing Oklahoma, UCLA, LMU, um, you know, all great teams. And you, you're playing two of the top three the first weekend out. And it was rough. They were, they were not great games for the Bulldogs, but <laughs> um, you know, we knew that was by design and by purpose and on purpose. We talked about it a lot. It wasn't like, just let's forget about the losses and move on. It was no, what can we learn from that? What did we see, um, you know, even on the field from our team, from their team that we can implement into our own games or performance styles. Um, and then it really kind of translated into getting us ready for SEC play. We played Florida right away. So here's another top five team for you. Um, and I just think that really was so beneficial by the time we got to postseason, and now we're playing yet again, another top five team in Florida state that it really, the girls were no, they weren't afraid. They weren't scared. It was, you know, what's one more. We've been doing this all year. We're ready for this. Um, you know, you could just feel it. You could see it on their faces that they were not intimidated. They were ready to go out there and compete. They knew they were battle tested. They knew that we learned a lot of lessons along the way um, and that they're ready to go out there and they believe they could win. And that's, I think, a huge battle when you're facing those top five teams, you know, day in and day out. And, um, you know, two years ago when we, two, three years ago, I, it's all runs together now, but when we started <laughs> SEC play 0 and 13, it was kind of the same idea, but we had to learn that during conference play, it took us facing some really good teams in conference play to learn some of those lessons and then turn it around a lot later, it was kind of a May turnaround. I think we went on an eight game winning streak, um, but it was the same idea. And it just seems to be a trend where we need to learn some lessons and learn what our team is about against tough opponents to make sure that we're ready to go at the end of the year. So this year we're going to do the same thing and we're going to open up um, on the road quite a bit more. We're gone the whole month of February for the most part because of the construction, but open up at FAU and then we were invited to the ESPN Clearwater Invitational that we're really excited about um, to again see what we're made of you know top 25 teams the whole the whole way out you know power fives and just really go out and test our team compete test our young pitchers and see what they're made of um, and make sure that we're ready and tested before we start SEC play uh, a few weeks later but I think we're excited about it we were strength of schedule four at the end of last year and I I think we're going to continue to be a tough strength of schedule and bringing in Oklahoma is just going to help with that. Um, 
you know, I'm excited for that, not just the competition and another chance to compete against them, um, but also just to bring that type of environment to Starkville and to show one show Oklahoma So you know, I've known that coaching staff for a long time, like just kind of, Hey, here's, here's our side thing. Here's what we're doing. Um, but really the fan base and bring them out, get some excitement about softball early on in the season. And just to, see, I, I, you know, there's always a big crowd when you play OU. So we're looking forward to filling the stands, showing them, you know, really competitive softball early on in the season and just, you know, quality opponents the whole way through. Yeah, that's going to be an incredible series and, and one that um, fans should obviously not miss, but quick one, one last question. You've got nine newcomers uh, on the team. <laughs> one thing uh, the softball world needs to know about Mississippi state heading into the season. Just one thing. Oh, uh, gosh. <laughs> changes week to week about if you're talking with newcomers um but I do think we've really I think you'll see a little bit more this year what our focus has been in our recruiting I think we're a lot more dynamic a lot more athletic um you know we might not hit as many home runs obviously losing Mia Davidson uh but I think we might steal more bases you know we might be a faster team and that's really been the goal is bringing in uh, classes that are athletic, they can hit, they can run, they can feel, they can kind of do it all. Um, and I'm excited for this group that we have right now as freshmen. I think you'll see um, quite a few of them get chances out there early, the two pitchers for sure. Uh, we've got a couple infielders that are, I think, can challenge for some time, definitely at bats from a lot of them. Um, and then our transfers, uh, Kirsten Landers from Florida State is going to be a huge piece for us. I, I think you'll see her probably from day one, and she's recovered from her ACL injury and super explosive athlete, um, a left-handed bat that we really needed to mix in with us. So excited about them and just the dynamic and can't wait to see how it all comes together next week on the field. Exciting. Well, uh, Mississippi State, like we said, opens in Boca Raton, Florida against FAU uh, next week. So Friday or Thursday, February, oh my gosh, February 9th uh, against FAU. Coach Ricketts, thank you so much for joining us this week on the D1 Softball Podcast. I think I can talk for you for hours and hours, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us and best of luck this season. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tara. Mississippi State Head Coach Samantha Ricketts, uh, just Gosh, she's great, great storyteller. And what a family to be a part of. Just a, a ton of athletes in, in one household growing up, uh, including her sister, obviously, Kaylani, who was pretty good at softball. Yeah, that family's tremendous. I, uh, I knew a childhood friend of theirs where I grew up um, a long time ago when it was, you know, before I ever met Samantha, honestly, and, and uh, heard about, you know, and then they started becoming really, really great at softball. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, I kind of have a feel like I know them. And now having talked to her and, just uh, always a pleasure, man. I just love the positivity she brings. She's a realist too. She doesn't beat around the bush, but she's really fun and just uh, always up for new things. That's the cool thing. She's always like, hey, we're going to, you know, never turns down experimentation. She's really brought some life to that program in terms of, you know, generating more fan base and getting things built and starting to get that program to where I think it deserves to be. So, uh, and, and again, she's just good. I hope she stays in the sport for a long time because, um, her personality is great for it. And she's just a heck of a coach as well. Yeah. And uh, some serious roots there with OU and, and Patty Gasso and that coaching tree. So 
uh, her being able to identify just as a sophomore playing when Patty asked her if she wanted to potentially coach, I think um, that's pretty cool that she has stayed in the sport. And like you said, Marie, um, she's one of the ones that uh, I think is an incredible ambassador. And, and like you said, um, just one that is constantly learning. And I think that's um, important uh, for for not only obviously our sport, but just for her to be a great example for other uh, coaches and other women out there. Um, that's it for the week. Uh, and this is our last uh, Thursday show. We're going to move to live on Monday nights. We're going to have our podcast live on Twitter. Monday nights, Gray Robertson is going to be co-hosting and we'll have uh, various guests jumping on. So we'll be able to see you all every Monday night. We'll be able to recap the weekend and make sure we're getting you up to date for um, the coming weeks now that we're heading into season. Marie, any final thoughts for the week or, or heading right before we head into season? No, just excited. I'm really excited for the season coming. Um, I think it's going to be one of the most, other than OU, one of the most unpredictable seasons. I can't, I mean, I've done a whole bunch of stuff and previews and talked to people and I still like, I, I don't know. I think I know stuff. And then I don't think I know anything all in one besides OU. Like after, after Oklahoma, I literally am just so excited to see what we're going to see on the field, how these new pieces fit together, some new coaches. Um, I think this season is going to be one of the more exciting ones. We say that every year, but I just think from a standpoint of like, it's wide open after Oklahoma. And I want to see kind of who fills in those next few spots. Cause it really, there's so many teams that have the potential to do it. So that, that's exciting for the sport when you can't predict stuff. That's always fun for and it makes more fan bases engaged because your team's got a chance and you know that, you know, there's a chance you can make a run to Oklahoma city, which is really cool. Well, we're a week away and all that will play out next Thursday. Uh, again, we'll be on live on Twitter and YouTube, our YouTube channel, Monday nights at 8 PM Eastern. That's our new podcast time. So head on over there. Thank you so much for joining us on the D one softball pack podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the D1 Softball Podcast. Tara Henry, Herbian, and Podkey. We'll see y'all next week. Man, this so it's such a good ending for our last for because that's just how this podcast is. We just embrace the chaos and like mistakes are mistakes. It's uh we're just too excited to even talk at this point. And uh, I think that's a great way to end. Yes, thank you all for joining us. We love it. It's it's tremendous. The feedback's always great, and uh we're excited for the season. Yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you next week.